and welcome to the Careers by Design podcast. I'm Sharon belden Castingway, Director of the Gordon Career Center at Wesleyan University. Today, I'm joined by Bradley Whitford, Class of 1986. Uh, Brad, let's start out with you telling us a little bit about your current professional role. Well, actually, I was Class of 81. Oh, I have that wrong. No, see, I meant to actually verify with you, that with you in advance, and that was my mistake. That's okay. Make me younger. It helps my my working life. There, you, I just shaved five years off for you. Yeah, thank God. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> We're already off track. What is your current professional role? What are you working on now? Oh, uh, what am I doing now? Um, I am. Uh, I have just finished a sort of cluster of films. Uh, I have an HBO uh, thing about uh, called All the Way about LBJ where I play Hubert Humphrey coming out. Uh, I have a horror movie with Jordan Peele uh, coming out. I'm producing uh, a thing that's in development at HBO based on an article my brother wrote about James Agee and Walker Evans. Um, uh, I just uh, wrapped another movie um, uh, that uh, doesn't have a title yet uh, with uh, the rapper Common. Um, so I got a bunch of stuff in the can. <laughs> and there seems to be a lot of breadth there. <laughs> uh, I'd love to go back in time a bit now. Uh were you involved a lot in drama as a kid? Were there early warning signs of your impending stardom? Like, take me back. I, the first thing, uh, there's evidence in early family movies of um, the, uh, what would eventually become a professional extrovert. I did an anti-smoking skit in sixth grade I think because I was inspired I had seen my brother uh, my older brother uh, do a play I saw my sister do a play and I had overwhelming uh, mixed reactions when I saw them of simultaneous joy and the horror of a human being making a spectacle of themselves in front of other people. Uh, then I, in seventh grade, I had a very early, I think it was probably the best performance I've ever given, <laughs> <laughs> which is sad. I think I peaked in middle school. Um, uh, I played uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt in Arsenic and Old Lace, and uh, it was a big hit, and it was an extraordinary feeling, um, and it never occurred to me, honestly, even all the way through my experience at Wesleyan. I grew up in Wisconsin. I didn't know anybody who was an actor. Kids who grew up in New York knew people who were actors. I didn't know anybody who was an actor. Uh, it never occurred to me that it was a possible way of making a living. And when people said they wanted to be actors, I sort of felt embarrassed for them because I, it, it just it sounded, I don't know, vain. But it was what I always loved to 
to do, I did as many plays as I could all the way uh, through middle school, high school. Um, if I could do them in the summer, I would do them in the summer. And when I was at Wesleyan, I, it was an incredibly fertile place for self-instigated theater. It's an actually, it's amazing. I mean, um, what that particular kind of, uh, you know, the impetus to do theater at Wesleyan that I'm really grateful for really wasn't coming from the department. Um, it was, it created a place where you could generate your own work and uh, the world can thank Wesleyan for the gift of Lin-Manuel Miranda who, uh, you know, flourished in that atmosphere. Sure. And thank God Lin-Manuel Miranda did not go uh, to, you know, prematurely specializing acting school because instead of creating this masterpiece that I can't stop thinking about or talking about, uh, you know, if he had prematurely focused on a performing career, that brilliant talent would be doing a guest shot on a medical show. Hmm. Um, so I, I, it never occurred to me to say I wanted to be an actor. It was always what I loved to do. I was... Uh, uh, a theater major uh, and an English major at Wesleyan and then I applied to acting schools and I remember when I opened the envelope that um, I was living on Lincoln Street that I got into Juilliard and I realized oh wow I guess at the end of this you'll be an <laughs> you're going to try to be an actor it was a scary moment but again I was really grateful, especially when I went to Juilliard, which is an incredible place, but, you know, it was really kind of a trade school. Um, I was really glad that I had had the four years of developing, of, of just getting out there and acting. Uh, without getting, I don't know, sort of prematurely trained, if that makes any sense. Why did you decide to attend a liberal arts college in the first place? I want, I, 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 you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was certainly a, a value. It was in my family that... Um, we were not encouraged. I worry today that there is an incredible pressure, some of which I think is unintentionally brought on by colleges like Wesleyan. There's incredible pressure for kids to specialize early, and there's incredible parental pressure to specialize early. My generation of parents, you know, we encounter our gorgeous children and we are very involved and we're very supportive but the kids are getting this unmistakable message of 
you know, we want to support whatever you do, but by the way, what are you? You know, at a very young age, are you a jock? I'll support that. Are you an academic? I'll support that. Do you want to do something creative? I'll support that. But what are you? I'm really grateful that I didn't have that pressure because I don't think I would have found what I really loved uh, to do. But it was a value in our family that it was understood that we would go out and get a a liberal arts uh, education and then figure out um, uh, after that what was going to happen. It it wasn't a a career uh, decision to go to a liberal arts college. It was almost an (laughs) anti-career decision. (laughs) So what did your parents think if they were so, you know, supportive of the liberal arts education? What did they think when you got into Juilliard and said, I guess this is going to make me an actor? Well, I remember saying to my dad, I said, you know, Juilliard, by the way, was four years. So I did, you know, I basically said to my dad, you just have to think of it as med school with guaranteed unemployment at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my parents, I, I come in a f- funny place in my family. I have uh, a sister 20 years older than me. My parents had three kids, a 12-year break, my brother, the mistake, and me, the mistake's friend. <laughs> so <laughs> by the time I came along, uh, I think in a good way I had these parents – who had grown kids who understood that um, basically love them, keep them out of traffic. They will be uh, what they want to be. There was a, I could tell they were incredibly supportive of me. I think my father worried because he had made, a lot of very responsible practical decisions in order to give our family um, the the security and the resources uh, that we had that he never had but he was a uh, frustrated uh, musician and writer and while he worried obviously about the craziness of pursuing an acting career I could tell that he got off on it. I felt very emotionally supported and uh, by them. But it's, listen, it's a, I, I, it's a very, you know, I went to Juilliard. Uh, we started off with 30 people in the class. I think 2,000 people auditioned so you could get down to 30 and we graduated 23 people and three of us make a living hmm. it you know it's it, it's it's brutal uh i know a guy who came in he's a pianist who uh you know came in second in the tchaikovsky competition which is an achievement, uh, just un- unspeakable commitment and passion and 
perseverance. And I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, Juilliard's cranking out piano soloists every year. And how many piano soloists are there? Mm. And, you know, my friend who's, you know, this extraordinary achievement, um, you know, I think he, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but I know for a long time he was teaching piano to kids who didn't want to be taking it. You know, it, it's, it, the, the stats um, can be brutal. Um, and I encourage, um, I encourage people who are pursuing a creative life, especially in, um, in acting, the first thing I ask, uh, somebody who's coming to me for advice about being an actor, I say, are, are you interested in writing? Uh, because... It's certainly true of Hollywood. There's a phrase, Hollywood eats paper. Uh, but I I am an actor. I've been incredibly lucky to have the opportunities that I've had. But it, there is a kind of midlife thing. <laughs> I, I say midlife. I'm, I'm 56. I say midlife. And yet I've never met a human being who's 112. <laughs> but eventually as an actor, as an actor, even if you're lucky, you're a pawn in storytelling. And um, eventually you want to take more responsibility. I will always want to act, but I am continually looking for ways uh, to control my creative destiny. I tell all dancers, uh, generate, uh, you know, generate your own work. It's, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things about what I do. And again, I'm incredibly lucky, but, um, you know, when you're in your twenties and thirties, it's kind of exciting not knowing ever what you're going to be doing in six months. It, it, it's, you, if you're lucky enough to do this, you're going to want to find ways to generate work, whether it's writing, producing. Um, I, I know people who are extraordinarily talented, bright. I know someone who, a dear friend of mine, who is now a very frustrated actor who's a stand-in on sets um, you know who stands there while the actors go off and and you have to have somebody standing there to get lit um, and this is a guy who literally could have uh, produced line produced uh, the West Wing hmm. and I don't know. I just I I I encourage people to you know, what you can't do as an actor. I've seen people, you know, go to New York, and basically, what you the danger is you don't want to put your self esteem on a platter and hand it 
to show business. And you don't want to hand it to the New York theater because it's like dating a schizophrenic. Uh, and I urge people to – I urge directors <laughs> to try acting. I think actors uh, to write and direct – I think you have to look at the larger thing that you're asking to be a part of as an actor or a director, um, which is storytelling. And if you can't find your way into it the way you thought you were going to find your way into it, find your way into it in uh, in another way. A great example of this, Aaron Sorkin wanted to be um, an actor. Uh, and it wasn't happening. And as uh, a football coach might say, champions adjust. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think it's very important and the older I get um, uh, for people to keep their, their – to not limit themselves – uh, when they when they go into the arts into a narrow definition of what they will uh, be, but make it about getting yourself into a situation where you can generate uh, generate your own uh, work. Because being at the mercy of other people's decisions is uh, corrosive. I know many people. Um, I have friends, you know, who uh, I think they have a kind of insecurity about it, who have gone into, who wanted to be a director in New York, um, and uh, ended up running uh, a theater in the, you know, a regional theater, or uh, ended up going into an academic uh, world where they're kind of running a theater department and they are living phenomenally wonderful creative lives that you would never get um, uh, if you were in the commercial uh, world and I just I don't know I just urge people uh, <clears throat> to to really examine what brings you joy creatively, that is not always going to be commercial success. Was there a decision that you made early on, maybe at Juilliard or after you graduated, that you feel was pivotal in really ratcheting up your career and putting you on that path that you ended up on? Um... You know, it's funny. This, this I'm going to drop a name here. Um, uh, I was I was working on a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, there's actually a funny Wesleyan related story with that. I, I was uh, working on this movie and I had not met him because he would cast you from videotape. And I'm going to work on a Clint Eastwood movie, and I'm in costume, and I'm scared, and I'm nervous. Knock on the door, and 
backlit in a cowboy hat is like Clint freaking Eastwood. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, hi. And, and he goes, uh, uh, I heard you went to Wesleyan. And I, and I said, yeah, how'd you know that? He goes, I love Janine. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, which was a really funny moment. But I remember talking with him one day. This was after he had won an Oscar. And uh, I had the arts and leisure section. And the cover of it was Clint Eastwood's vision of America. Um, and I said, did you see this? And he said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, this idea that I've chosen, he said, I always took the best job available. You know, he said, six years ago, I was working with an orangutan and now they think I'm Gandhi. And I feel that it has really been rare that I have had a choice. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've been very lucky in terms of uh, the range that I've been able to go between theater, film, and television is incredibly lucky, but you really are at the mercy of of um, uh, as a performer of I don't know fate and other people you know choosing you I, I, I can tell you very strange things have happened um, early on I needed money um, and uh, I was asked to be the jerk in a uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. A classic. A classic. And I, you know, I was kind of snobby, like, this is not, you know, am I going to be in stupid movies? I didn't really want to do it. Well, on that movie, I met Tim Busfield. Um, Tim Busfield ended up replacing in A Few Good Men on Broadway. Tim suggested to Aaron that I audition uh, to be an understudy in A Few Good Men. Uh, when Tim left, I became the lead in A Few Good Men. So in essence, if I had not done Revenge of the Nerds 2, I never would have gotten the West Wing. Right. I recently, I won a, a, an Emmy on, on Transparent. The way that happened... I was offered a job on uh, Law and Order SVU. It meant leaving. It wasn't something I wanted to do. It was actually a Wesleyan guy, though, uh, Peter Blauner, um, called and asked me if I would do it. And it, it was just a guest shot for a week, and it's not a show I watched. And I sort of had this perverse pride because I was the only – actor I'd ever met who had never been on Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I said, Who's, who is my stuff with? And they said, uh, with Jeffrey Tambor. And I said, oh, mm. God, yeah, I'll do it. And we're shooting this, you know, kind of creepy, um, you know, not something I was dying to do 
frankly, but I wanted to act with Jeffrey, who I knew just a little bit, and in the middle of that, he came in and he said, it's weird, this thing I did for Amazon, which was a very odd idea, just got picked up, and then uh, when the role um, of Marcy came up, Jeffrey, so, and Jeffrey, um, you know, was just somebody I wanted to work with. If I hadn't done an episode of that, Transparent wouldn't have happened. I mean, my suggestion, you know, to young actors is, I guess, don't be a snob. I was lucky because I had to make money. I have a friend who's a very good actor uh, who didn't have to do, you know, Revenge of the Nerds or um, Billy Madison because he had, like, family money, so he would just wait, you know, for the good stuff. And now, you know, he ended up, you know, kind of not having the career he wanted because he wasn't really in the game. It's also very interesting to me. You can learn, you can learn a lot trying to, as an actor, trying to make what what we call uh, uh, turning chicken shit into chicken salad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and very often you can learn a lot. I have one, just since this is a career thing, for all you poor souls out there who want to be actors, one like just specific decision that I made that really helped me was if you're lucky enough to be getting auditions, auditions are horrible. Um, uh, I resent them. They're, they're frustrating. They, they actually, I think, end up, uh, not being really good indicators of how a person can act. My metaphor is if you go to the dog pound, the dog in the cage who's reacting normally, you, you know, truthfully to the situation they're in, um, they're scared, they're in the back of the steel cage, quivering. The one that you choose is the oblivious idiot up front. Um, and I did make a decision that, and I think it probably works in other areas too. I just made the decision, you know, I'm not going to get, and again, I'm very lucky. And, and compared to other actors, I got a lot of stuff. But if I went in thinking, I can't, I really, here's what I can't control. I, I'm just going to assume I'm not going to get this job. And I'm going to make the audition uh, an acting experience. And I really pre prepared these auditions, I think, more so than other people would because I wasn't really trying to get it. I was assuming this was going to be my only experience with the material and that I should take like full advantage of it. Um, and that helped helped a lot but don't get me started on auditions I, I despise them <laughs>
obviously by all outward appearances you are a successful actor but one of the things we talk about in careers by design the course is that success is a very personal thing you have to define it for yourself was there a specific event something that happened that really made you realize yourself that you were successful well there are there are um yeah i mean i mean i mean there have been when you finally get to i mean the hard thing about acting is if you want to be a poet as frustrating as it might be you you can sit down and write if you want to act you need to be someone has to decide to write a play someone has to decide to produce it someone has to decide to direct it someone has to cast you um what's coming to my head is you know playing the lead in a broadway play is thrilling and exhausting and uh you know doing a few good men uh and doing the other plays i did in new york you just you really felt creatively spent um and that felt uh wonderfully gratifying uh West Wing was an incredible acting experience, um, and it, it, it went sort of beyond your wildest dreams as an actor because here was this thing that was creatively totally engaging and culturally significant. Uh, and was about something you were fascinated with. And that, you know, you really feel like you're kind of firing, you know, on all, on all cylinders. That's, that's a really good feeling. But there's, honestly, there's nothing like, um, you know, having every other line in a Broadway play and coming off stage at the end um, uh, is 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 a really good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is the biggest misconception about being a successful actor? Uh, well, uh, honestly, I mean, I, I I talk about this all the time. There's no there there in terms of a there's no there there in terms of a sense of security although when i say this i i i think that's absolutely true for um aaron sorkin it's true for matt weiner i know um there i joke about you know this the kind of God-sized hole in your soul that will ne- <laughs> never, uh, you know, there's there's no sense of. In my experience, it feels like the insecurity just heightens, um, and I have to remind myself. Um, even though I feel like a relatively grateful actor day, day to day, 
there, there is no real sense of security. I mean, it is a very tricky thing to go through your life, especially I have uh, three wonderful kids, um, and, you know, I never know where I'm going to be, you know, in, it's worked out wonderfully, the kids are great, they're in middle school, high school, and going into college, um, uh, and are the greatest characters I will ever have anything to do with creating, but, um, uh, the older you get, that the, I, I'm constantly looking for ways to have that creative outlet, which is extremely uh, uh, addictive in a in a wonderful, wonderful way. But you're always worried about where it's going to come next. I, I, I you know, I, I saw. Um, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, who, um, you know, I think of as, you know, this youngster from Wesleyan who had this, you know, kind of amazing success and has just had the most glorious realization of, uh, <coughs> a creative impulse that, that a human being can imagine and Lynn is extremely happy and grateful and grounded and gracious. But I can tell you that if you just did Hamilton, you're thinking, oh, God, what do I do next? Right. <laughs> um, it's a great, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a great problem to have. I, I, I mean, one thing I, I like – any creative person if, needs to know that you are constantly working with an extreme level of insecurity that the worst actors are the ones who think they know what they're doing. The, the, there's something – in other words – and their their examples writers struggle with this writer writing is a peculiarly uh neurotic uh existence um and if you think that that as as a writer or as an actor or as a sculptor or whatever you do, and I think it's true in other arenas of life. If you, um, I, 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 if you think you're gonna have like total confidence in knowing what you're doing, uh, not only will that never happen, but when it does happen in my world of storytelling, you, you, that's when you screw up. Hmm. Um, Aaron Sorkin had no uh, idea how to write West Wing when he wrote it. You don't have to know before. You have to commit, plow through, 
through with all your insecurity. I think if people could, um, you know, put some sort of camera on my psyche as I was doing a run of a play, the level of insecurity <laughs> would, would would be shocking. I, I was just saying to somebody the other day, it's it's fascinating to me, um, you know, on West Wing, one of the great things about West Wing, it was just, we were doing 22 episodes, they don't do it anymore, 22 a year for seven years, and I can tell you that when you're creating something, or even when you're interpreting something, playing a scene, in the seventh year of West Wing, until you got the scene to where it was going to work, you literally, there's a voice in your head panicking, saying, I'm never going to find this. Um, uh, and you just have to know that that that's, level of, of you have to find a way to laugh at it you have to find a way to manage it you have to find a way to deal with it you know without vodka <laughs> <laughs> um but it but it's 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 always there um and uh you have to find a way to sort of judo that energy in, 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 into perseverance but um, I think a lot of people think they should be more confident than they are and there are a lot of virtues I, I also think with uh, you know this whole idea of talent is, is a very interesting thing it takes somebody I, I was using this example the other day uh, uh, someone who's a friend who I've known for a long time, <coughs> Mary Louise. <coughs> excuse me, Mary Louise Parker is obviously a brilliantly talented actress. That talent does not exist independently. She's not walking around with that talent as a 24-year-old. That talent is realized through persevering through all of her acting experiences and doing it. Lynn Manuel, who's a freakishly talented human being, obviously, that talent, he doesn't know, he's not walking around knowing how to write Hamilton and then just decides to do it. He is hacking through the creative jungle with a dull machete hmm. for, for um, decades. And talent is, is is the result of experience. It's not like I could go to a kid at Wesleyan and say, oh, you know, you're brilliantly talented. Talent gets, you know, you, you just have to immerse yourself in it. I always joke with people, my career advice is, you know, throw your spaghetti at the wall till it sticks. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, that's how... Uh, talent develops. You, you, you just need to give yourself at bats. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, I this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for offering you offering us your perspective today. My pleasure.
keep throwing the spaghetti. <laughs> Wise words. Okay. <laughs> Brad Woodford, class of 1981. That's true. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to Careers by Design, the interviews. Production by Sharon Belden Castingway. Music by Andrew Santanello. Interested in designing your own career? Check out our Careers by Design online course, available on iTunes U and the Wesleyan University website.